You're listening to Access and Expand, conversations that offer you access to information that expands your mind. I'm your host, Tiffany Curran. It's my goal to be really solid with my boundaries. Um, Generally, I have been in the past, and even sort of now, (laughs) wishy-washy with boundaries. So I um, am great with them with my son, because uh, his safety is really important to me. And my word being true is really important to me. Um, with regards to him. So he's the best practice for me in terms of having good boundaries and maintaining them. But I was raised in a way that didn't really have um, boundaries or the boundaries that were in place weren't necessarily respected. So what that looked like was, you know... Let's say we're going to do something, then we weren't, then we were, then we weren't. You know, nothing was really for sure, um, unless it was really for sure, which was like holiday stuff. We're traveling somewhere, going on vacation, something that requires that really strong boundary. So that said, I was also raised in an environment where we knew what we were doing. So it's twofold, I guess. What it looked like would be, you know, Thursday night we're having dinner. We had dinner Thursday night. Or we're going to this restaurant Thursday night. That happened. Your grandparents are coming over Sunday at 4. That happened. We're traveling to Florida on this date, and you can bring a friend. That happened. Um, So I really was raised with the understanding of I believe it was important to know what was going on. But the lack of boundary was the little things like, yes, your friend could come over. No, I changed my mind. I'm too tired to pick her up or I'm busy or whatever. I wasn't really too tired. Um, My mom was never really resting. So, um, but it was this thing where it was like, what is it? You know, so um, I spoke about or wrote about in my blog when I was very young. I was going to school number five in Oceanside, New York, and my dad was traveling. So he he travels a lot now, but at the time he wasn't. It was like new. And I think he was very uncomfortable with me expressing sadness. He felt that he was disappointing me by leaving and he didn't want to see that. So he had told me that he would get me something called a kinkachu, which is what he said, a nocturnal animal similar to a koala. It would hang upside down and live in my closet. So, you know, I believed him. And he was gone for a long time and I was really sad about missing him. So I focused instead on the kinkachu, because that was what he had set up. He set it up so that I wouldn't be missing him, but instead focusing on this. And if if nothing else, I wanted to really show up the way that people wanted me to present myself. So I was very much a people pleaser, externally um, rewarded and located in how I would receive the world. So I focused on it and focused on it. I'm sure at school it came up. My father was away. But I, you know, and, and I was living in an area where people weren't traveling for work. So I was the one kid whose father was away. And I remember saying, he's bringing me this kinkachu, explaining what it was, saying I would bring it to show and tell. So when the time came when he returned home, and I was really excited to see him, side note, I used to make him like crossword puzzles and word finds, word searches for the airplane. Because um, I really didn't like that he was leaving a lot. 
Um, so when he returned home, he, of course, returned home without a live exotic animal from another country. Um, and I felt disappointed, not that I didn't get this animal, but disappointed that what he told me was just to keep me soothed until he returned. He made up a story to make me feel better, but what, he, what actually happened was I began to distrust his word. And I remember my mom saying something like, come on, Tiffany, you think he's going to bring you back an animal? Oh, you didn't really believe that. You know, as parents have, do, right? They do that. We do that sometimes. I try really hard not to, but um, that's probably because I experienced it so much. And so then I had to go to school and tell everyone at school that my father had just told me a story and it wasn't the truth. And I didn't want to do that. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed that I felt that my father was telling the truth. I was ashamed that I had uh, to explain that he, for lack of a better word, lied. I don't think he meant to lie. He meant to lead me to not be upset, but it felt like, and it certainly wasn't the truth, um, a lie. So I pretended that it, that he did bring it home. And back in those days, um, we had these little koala bears that would like, and pandas and just little funny fuzzy things. They were they would fit inside your palm and you can clip them onto things. And we had, remember this girl Vandy and Tilly who I went to high school with, who is now passed. Um, she had a, a chandelier in her kitchen and they were like clipped on there. It was really popular. Um, so that's what I thought a koala looked like, small and easy to hold. And so I told the class that, the kingachu that my father gave me had to stay on the secretary's desk in the secretary's office. Of course, that day, as we're lining up to leave the classroom, you know, baby school, I don't know, elementary school, um, my mom was like the first mom there. And everyone started asking her about it. And she said something to the effect of like, come on, Tiff, Tiff, that's, not, that's not the truth. Why did you lie to them? <sighs> So I was lying to cover up the disappointment that I felt from being lied to. And then I became the liar in a lot of people's eyes, which made me more sensitive to always being, not only telling the truth, but showing the truth. So for most of my life following that, if I was stuck in traffic, I would take a picture and send the traffic to the people I was, you know, late to meet. I was always very like, this is the truth. Here's the evidence. Um, because I had to prove that I wasn't a liar because I had lied, but I had lied because I was lied to and didn't have the coping skills to understand how to explain that or deal with it or feel it. So boundaries are really important to me. I've also, um, I think what's triggering this conversation, what's triggering my looking back, you know, through breath work as we process things that are happening in our lives. We can go back into the very early stages of our life to find that root just through our subconscious. So I was doing breath work recently, and there was something that was really bothering me about a boundary violation. And um, my body brought it to the root, the source of the, of the you know, that the, the idea that I couldn't have boundaries and the idea that I could be lied to and had to cover for people went back to that day the, the, or the time of the king of truth. So what, what, what brought me to the breath work that day was that I was working somewhere with someone who I felt was violating my boundaries and violating, um, 
you know, a lot of the things that were, were important to me. And so as we see and feel red flags come up, we get the choice to honor them or to ignore them. And for a long time, I ignored them. So in this particular situation, um, I sat with these feelings of unsure, um, you know, indecisive thoughts around whether or not I was comfortable with the situation um, for a few months. And I talked to my um, mentor, my mentor group. I have a mentor group that's led by Aaron Telford. It's called Deep in Your Practice. And there's uh, 27 people in that group plus me. So I tossed it out to them. I also have um, a mastermind group that I talked to them about it. There's seven other people, I think, six or seven other people. So this was really a thing. And I had been talking to different people about coaching. Um, the first person um, I really love and wanted to work with. It just, the timing wasn't working. We weren't getting it together. I was approached by a lot of people about coaching programs and had actually agreed um, on one of them when this opportunity came up for me to work with a trauma coach who had been looking to work with for like probably over a year, um, who's also a breathwork killer. So that was really neat. So um, what was coming up that I was talking to everybody about but couldn't really trust myself to deal with was that uh, there was a, a very old wound of mine that was uh, being violated. Um, that it was the, the wound was being salted. And um, that wound is the energy of sexual abuse. So it wasn't actual sexual abuse. There was no sexual abuse going on. It was the energy of being the prey, of feeling like I was unsafe. And with that, there was a lot of deceitful behavior masked by manipulative um, actions that made me really feel like I didn't know if I was seeing the truth. You know, when you're in a space of being accustomed to receiving and tolerating sexual abuse energy, again, not the abuse, but the energy around it, um, that dominating, forceful, I'm telling you what's right sort of thing, it can really be very confusing. And when people manipulate, it's hard to know what's the truth. So, um, so as that was really coming up, it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when I spoke to my coach, Anastasia, um, and we hadn't even started coaching. We still haven't started coaching. We start in, I think, two weeks. Um, we talked about this particular event, and I just told her very basically there was no, there was no um, energy around it except for what I was bringing in through my words, and she right away was able to see it, understand it, break it down, and help me see why it was triggering for me. And that's when I was able to breathe into it and see where the source was and then dissolve the problem. So I dissolved the problem by getting really clear on what it was. And also when I spoke with my teacher, Aaron Telford, we talked a little more about what that looks like and what it means for me to be able to dissolve it in an effort to create a safe environment for everybody that I'm working with. So, and I know I'm being vague. I have to be vague because, you know, this is not just my story and I don't feel comfortable um, or or think it's fair to really give the details and potentially um, share information 
about who this relationship was with. So, uh, but it wasn't anyone close to me. It was a work relationship and it was definitely putting it all up for me. So, you know, when it's clear, it's clear. And um, the coaches that I've been working with, the teachers, um, are very plain with their words. You know, like, um, it's just clear, plain, basic language. And what I've been noticing as I'm walking through into the space of being held by all these people, teachers and coaches, um, Kendra Kunov is one of them. I'm in her collective group. Um, They're just speaking from their heart without planning, without the motivational coaching language Um, in my blog, which you can read about it below here. I talk about how people will say, you know, I'm just hopping on really quick to say da-da-da-da, just popped in to do this. I don't feel like that's the truth. Like, we don't just pop on to say something. Maybe, you know, something really triggers in us and we want to share it. But I think there's something about having language that's really your own. And um, there's a lot of buzzwords, a lot of buzz posts, a lot of... um, I don't know what how I would describe it, but it feels like there's definitely um, some language that that is like a, a coaching language that doesn't mean it applies to all coaches. And so when I was looking through who I was going to work with, how it was going to look, I was finding people that were just very real and weren't um, planning, you know, creating these interesting... Sorry, my dog is barking quite a bit today. (laughs) It was just, um, I was finding people who were real and who were honest and who were saying what they needed to say and really looking at me and hearing me and helping me as a person, not as part of a plan, not as following a schedule, but like looking at me. And so as you get into, okay, thank you, babe. As you get into understanding your boundaries and where what makes you feel safe in the world, and um, what works for your life. That's where you have to have boundaries. So I'm still pretty new at finding my own boundaries, creating the space in my life that feels safe and held. Um, I have a long way to go, but I'm in process. I'm moving through it, and I'm creating them. And so what a boundary is, it's not just a yes or no. I think. I mean, the yes is great and the no is great. It's clear, but it's understanding what's behind it. So I could say yes with excitement and mean yes, but the truth is that maybe there's a lot of no behind it or discomfort behind it, but I'm feeling this this familiar energy that's making me say yes, that's creating the space to say yes. So to talk about um, sexual abuse energy and that violation, this is what it looks like. And these, these words of are mine. They've come together. Um, as I said, I'm working with Anastasia Holland. And um, about a year ago, she turned me onto a book called Waking the Tiger through a post of hers. So I learned a lot from that. I learned tons from Aaron Telford and David Elliott. And I'm looking forward to learn more from Kendra Kunov. Um, but so the way that it works is we get really comfortable being in this uncomfortable, sticky energy because it's what we know. It's what we're familiar with. So being in the gnarly, muddy state of being sometimes feels 
more familiar than being in joy, being in your power. And when I say your power, it means just being in your beaming self, your beaming light, and your own desire to know what's best for you. So when you can't trust yourself, or you haven't been taught to trust yourself, or you're not really sure if you know what that even looks like, you go into spaces that are familiar. And so for me, that familiar space was in that energy of abuse, Um, the energy of feeling like I'm being pushed into something that wasn't comfortable, feeling like my no isn't a fair thing to say, and feeling like um, leaving the space of the relationship will make me unsafe, will put me in a space of danger or being hurt. So of course, as I feel that I'm processing this and feeling really good about it, it comes up all over the place. It's been coming up a lot for me in all different aspects of my life. The universe is saying to me, are you sure you're ready? Are you sure you feel this? Are you sure that you are um, in a space of saying on this podcast, I understand what boundaries are? And the answer is not necessarily. I understand where they are to the point that I'm talking to you today. I still feel that there are times in my life where boundaries are a hard thing to really uh, implement. I'm really good at boundaries with people that I'm close to. So my husband, I have very strong boundaries with. My son, I have very strong boundaries with. My boundaries with my mom, my dad, my brother, um, my extended family, those boundaries are pretty solid. I know how to say no. I know how to be in my space of comfort in my no, also in my yes. I know how to make decisions and support them. It becomes a little more difficult when I'm working from um, from a relationship that's unfamiliar. Hold on, let me just grab my dog because she's going to bark the whole day. So I have three dogs. Excuse me, I'm recording from home today. Um, my hits just went up exponentially with the water licking from the dog. Um, but so when what Aaron explained to me is when we operate from a place of fear, we make the wrong decisions, right? I'm not saying that she said we do. She said, normally, if you're operating from a place of fear, normally, not all the time, you're not making decisions that are in your best interest. You're making decisions based out of fear. And so what I learned is it was really important for me to really understand what works. And she said to me, write a list of all the things that you need for um, whatever this work is that I'm doing. In, re- in this situation, there's a certain work. There's different work that I do. Primarily, I do breathwork healing. I also do Reiki and um, guided meditation, yoga nidra, and workshops and classes. So I do a lot. Um, but this in this particular setting, write down what I need to feel safe, what I need for it to work for me, what I need for it to feel really good. And once I do that, it's clear. Is this a yes or is this a no? So you know, simplifying it that way is the best thing. An example of simplifying would be something like, let's pretend since my dogs are all running around, I have three rescues, rescue dogs, I'm looking for a fourth dog, let's pretend. My husband would probably lose his mind. Um, But I would say, what are the parameters to add a fourth dog to our family? It has to be friendly with other dogs. It has to be a certain size maybe, right? Um, Maybe it's male or female. I have both. I have one dominant male who's the smallest of our dogs, Rocco. So it would probably not be male, right? I would make the parameters. And then if I met a really awesome dog that didn't fit, is it really the best for our family, right? So 
I did meet a dog before I got Trixie, who had heartworm, and um, she was in long-term care. So that wasn't going to work. She would be in a crate in a house of, you know, chaotic dogs. But if I found her and wanted her and she wasn't fitting the parameters of my family and I brought her into the house, how would that affect everybody in the house? How would that affect my children, my husband, my dogs? So when you have these parameters, this is what everybody needs to feel safe. It's very easy to see the yes or the no. But then there's the implementation of how do I say the yes or the no? How do I not hurt somebody? How do I um, make the choice to stand behind my yes or no, and what language is around that. So when I first started setting boundaries, the language was a lot. It was like, no, I'm really sorry. I wish I could, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, that leaves this loop hole for people to say, but how about this? But how about that? And when you're still new with working with boundaries, sometimes you can get pushed into a yes when we mean to say a no. So, um, so now what I've learned is that no is a complete sentence. And it can be very difficult to say no. But if I just look at that guideline of what I need for my life to feel good, it gets a little easier. And when I tap in through breath work, to what do I need to feel safe to say no? What messages were given to me when I was younger that made no feel like I was a bad girl and I was not safe? And who said those messages and how can I release them? When we do all that and put it together, life becomes very easy in terms of seeing what's yes and what's no. Because life is hard enough, right? We have to deal with Um, Things that come up, we have health, potentially health issues, hopefully not, but sometimes people we love have health issues, Um, sometimes jobs don't go well, or whatever. Life can bring its own space of discomfort. When we at least operate from a sense of being ourselves and being 100% confident that the decisions we are making are in the best interest of our life, it's a little easier to navigate the tough stuff. So I'm going to invite you to do some some things. The first thing I'm going to invite you to do is be really careful with your language and careful with your commitments and your promises. So when you say, I would love to now, but I can't, that's the end of the sentence. I would love to come with you, but it won't work for me today. Or... That sounds great. I can't make it. That's enough. Or if you say, I would love to, um, let's think, I would love to join you picnicking tomorrow at the park. I'll be there at 12 and fear comes up or there's a decision that's uncomfortable. You, Sorry about that. While the windows are open, it's really nice outside you are sort of committed to that. So, um, you know, there are times in my life for sure where I can't make things that I previously agreed to, and I'm working on not doing that. But things like for my son, if I say we're eating at 5, we're eating at 5. And if I say to him, I'll take you for ice cream, I mean, he's 18, he doesn't really do that stuff anymore. But when he was younger, I'll take you for ice cream, I took him for ice cream. If I promised to, you know, buy him a plane ticket somewhere, I did it, even if it was difficult. 
because I wanted him to know that my word was good. And if I told him that I wouldn't yell at him for something he was about to tell me, and then he said something that was really uncomfortable, I'd check my own anger and not bring it to him. So I invite you to be really careful with your words. Be careful with the words you use and the things you say. So things like saying, don't forget to go, will make people forget to go. But if you say, remember to go, they'll remember to go. So think about the words that you use instead of saying to your children or to your friends or to your boss, oh, you're killing me. Say, wow, this is really hard. It feels really hard when you say that. Can we try another way? Right? So just language. The second thing I would say is really tune into yourself and know what's triggering you, what you need, and how you can heal that, how you can heal the things that are triggering. So of course, I will say to you that I'm not saying this for me, but breathwork is the thing. I did 28 years of therapy with some very awesome therapists, and it really helped my mind. It helped me understand things better. And there's stuff that's still in the body that has to be released. So even if we understand it, we're holding the energy in our body that we need to release. So breathwork is amazing for that. I highly suggest checking out breathwork, if not with me, with somebody else. And I can give you a list of people to work with, although I do do virtual and one-on-one um, and groups. So there's a lot of options. Also, I would suggest if uh, you have a meditation practice, commit to just doing some meditation every day, You're just tapping back in to what you need, who you are, how your body feels, and what's going on. And the third thing, which is the tough one for me that I'm implementing today, so we're doing this together if you choose to jump in, is put your health first. So I have been interviewing people for the podcast, which you'll hear in upcoming shows because I schedule them farther out than their actual date. I've been uh, talking to people who have done fitness for a living and have done um, food for a living, and they always talk about that pivotal moment in their life where they had diagnosis that caused them to really look at their health and decide what was best for them. So I'm going to give you that ASMR again. There you go, Trixie. <sighs> I interviewed the owner of Ride and Reflect, and she had um, gotten cancer when she, and she was always healthy, so that was a little side note. Always very healthy, but um, it just really helped her focus on also getting her mind healthy. Um, but that triggered in me, like, why do I wait until I don't feel good to wish for health? Um, and then the other person was the owner of Squirrel and the Bee. Her name is Michelle Reddick, and she was talking about when she got ulcerative colitis, I think that's what it's called, and how that caused her to change her diet. So take this time to say, you know, maybe, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're feeling pretty good about your health. If you're not, maybe it's a reminder to really take that seriously. But just start to say, like, I'm ready to take my health seriously so that my life runs just a little smoother. You know, no one's prone or immune to getting sick, but we can do our best to stay healthy. Um, so those three things create a lot of boundaries, right? If I know I'm going to eat certain foods or not, you know, I'm going to, oh, hold on, this is the joy of being home, right, baby? She's in, she's out. Um, if I know, like, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to eat gluten, which is what's the current status for me, I'm trying to eliminate dairy, that's a boundary. 
if I know that I'm not going to say yes without thinking for 24 hours, that's a boundary. If I know the rules under which I'm going to live, that's a boundary, right? So these are things that really help you to um, get clear with your life. So just start to lean into that. And the meditation, breath work, the practice of connecting to yourself will bring that awareness to you in a really rapid way, really help you get clear on what you need. So I really appreciate you listening. I know sometimes I can go out and go off on a tangent. My mind works in that way. Um, I hope that what I've shared today resonates with you. Thank you for listening to Access and Expand the Conversations with Tiffany Karen. If you like this, please go ahead and share the link.